Hello everybody, Daniel Barnett here from Outer Temple Chambers with episode 43 of Employment Law Matters. It's a bright and beautiful Saturday morning, the 4th of April 2020, and I was outside in the garden merrily doing some gardening when suddenly there was a scream of excitement from a neighbouring house. Oh my god, the new furlough scheme details have been published. Well, Maybe not, but I did receive a message about it from Quentin Colburn, who is a friend of mine, an HR professional who sits as a wing member on employment tribunals. And I rushed inside the house, started reading and thought, better record a podcast. Just a quick mention for those of you who aren't members, if you're an HR professional, particularly an independent HR professional or a standalone HR professional in a small organisation, all of the information that I'm talking about here is expanded on within the HR Inner Circle, in the members area of the HR Inner Circle, which is a membership club I run for smart, ambitious HR professionals. I'm in there multiple times a day dealing with questions, helping people with all of their coronavirus job retention scheme issues and a host of other things. Have a look. It's at www.hrinnercircle.co.uk. And now the updated guidance on the coronavirus job retention scheme. Welcome to Employment Law Matters with Barrister Daniel Barnett. What I'm going to do on this episode is talk about the changes that have been made to the coronavirus job retention scheme, the furlough scheme, since it was published on the 26th of March. And the updates came out overnight between the 4th and the 5th of April. It's dated the 4th of April. You'll find the link to the new guidance in the show notes. I'm not going to repeat everything to do with the scheme where nothing's changed, but I will be going over some areas where we now have additional clarification. The starting point is who is eligible? Well, the government's clarified, if indeed it needs any clarification, I didn't think it did, that all employers are eligible to claim for any employees. It is not limited to employees who otherwise would have been made redundant. Although that's the underlying aim and purpose of the scheme, to protect the jobs of those who otherwise would have been made redundant, it's open to all employees, provided the employer created and started a PAYE payroll scheme on or before the 28th of February, provided the employee was on PAYE on the 28th of February, Provided the employer, this is new, had enrolled for PAYE online. If you haven't done that yet, it can take up to 10 days. Do it. There's a link within the guidance, which is itself linked to within the show notes. You've also got to have a UK bank account because if you don't, HMRC won't have a bank account to pay the money into. It's been made clear that apprentices can be furloughed in the same way as other employees. Again, that wasn't particularly controversial. If you see what I say inside the HR in a circle, this was all anticipated and predicted. There's not really very much clarity on the position with public sector organisations, although some of the information, the very limited information, has been reworded. This is the crucial sentence. And I'm quoting where employers receive public funding for staff costs and that funding is continuing. We expect employers to use that money to continue to pay staff in the usual fashion and correspondingly not 
furlough them. So that's really saying that if you're receiving public funds, whether you're a public body or a private sector organisation, if you're receiving public funds to pay somebody's salary, you can't furlough them, meaning you'd get 100% of the funds in the normal way, plus an extra 80%. Again, that's complete common sense. And that's what I've been advising people for a couple of weeks now inside the HR inner circle. Individuals, if you employ a nanny, for example, and this is a question I've had quite a lot, can furlough their employees, such as nannies, such as cleaners, provided they have been paid through PAYE as of the 28th of February. So that means if you paid your nanny cash, if you didn't declare him or her for tax, if you paid your cleaner cash, you can't furlough them, or more accurately, you can't reclaim 80% from the government. Here's something that has been heralded by a well-known financial commentator as a great victory for his campaigning, but it was actually already pretty much obvious from the original wording of the scheme. If you made employees redundant, or if they stopped working for you on or after the 28th of February, you can re-employ them, put them on furlough, and claim for their wages through the scheme. So that means if somebody's resigned and they come to you and say, can I have my job back and get furloughed, please? Assuming they resigned on or after the 29th of February, so they were on the payroll on the 28th of February, you can say, yes, we'll re-employ you and put you on furlough. Now, there are a number of issues with doing that. First of all, it might mean they build up two years continuity of employment. So be careful there. Second of all, there's always the theoretical risk that for some reason or another, HMRC might find a loophole, might decide it's a fraudulent claim and not reimburse you. Third of all, until the scheme is up and running, which the government is still saying it expects to be the end of April, but I don't believe that for a second, you've got to fund their salary yourself. So that's got cash flow issues unless they agree to defer salary. So I would actually be quite reticent about re-employing people who resigned because I tend to think they made their bed, they've got to lie in it. It's not a nice thing to say, but there's some truth in it. Likewise with people who've been dismissed for gross misconduct. Why would you want to have them back and then furlough them? It's just going to cause problems. But if you've made someone redundant after the 28th of February, well, do bring them back. Just be aware of the potential risks I've just mentioned. The other slight danger area is actually the converse position. If somebody approaches you and says, will you rehire me? Will you furlough me? If you say no, there is a theoretical risk that they could claim they're being subjected to a detriment, the refusal to re-engage, then furlough them because of a protected characteristic, because they've blown the whistle or something of that nature. But of course, I think the risk of that is quite small. It's a decision for you. The guidance makes it clear that if the employee is self-isolating or on sick leave, they get SSP, but while they're getting SSP, they cannot be furloughed. It does say once they stop receiving SSP, they can be furloughed and claimed for. So that might be a little bit of an incentive to employees to decide they're no longer unwell. Could cause other problems, of course, but you can see that will incentivize employees to claim to be uh, ready, fit and able to work. 
The guidance makes it clear, not that there was any doubt about this, that you can claim for furloughed employees who are shielding in line with public health guidance or people who are unable to work because they have caring responsibilities. Now, here's something new and here's something that I thought wasn't going to happen. We do know that if an employee has two jobs, they can be furloughed from each one or they could be furloughed from one but not the other. The guidance makes it clear that each job is separate, so the £2,500 cap applies to each employer individually. A furloughed employer, a furloughed employee rather, doing two jobs, both of which are high earning, could therefore be earning £5,000 a month under the furlough scheme. Now, this is important, and this is what I thought wasn't going to appear in the scheme. The new guidance makes it clear that an employee who has been furloughed can go and work for another employer. So theoretically, they could then be earning 180% of what they were earning previously. They're earning 80% through the furlough scheme from their old employer, whilst during the same hours working for a new employer and getting a new salary. I thought the guidance would prohibit that, even though it would be difficult to enforce, because, first of all, part of the purpose of the furlough scheme is to keep people at home, not have them moving around and still commuting or doing other jobs. And second of all, it's an unexpected windfall for employees where the purpose of the furlough scheme was to keep them in work. That purpose is undermined or unnecessary if they've gone and found another job. But it looks like the government has perhaps understandably prioritised allowing people to take on jobs that are needed for the economy. For example, agricultural picking jobs where there's a short supply of people at the moment or indeed jobs in the NHS or within the care sector. Another interesting point, again, this is what I had assumed to be the case and have been advising within the HR in a circle, but the guidance now makes it clear. If you are a person who is employed by your own umbrella company, often because you're employed by an agency or because you're doing so either for tax benefits or because the employer, in inverted commas, is trying to fiddle your employment status, your umbrella company, which pays you a salary, can furlough you and claim back 80% of that salary cost. Obviously, you can't be doing any work, but yeah, it makes sense. And this is what I expected to be the case, but it's now confirmed in the amended guidance. What about company directors? Well, the guidance makes clear that company directors can be furloughed if they're on salary. They cannot do any work for the company other than complying with their statutory duties. What are their statutory duties? Well, it's not as clear as it should be, but I think it's very limited. It's just going to mean things like filing an annual return with company's house or attending the annual general meeting. It's that sort of limited thing. If a director is to be furloughed, it's got to be a formal adopted resolution of the board of directors and it's got to be properly noted in the company records and communicated in writing to the relevant directors. Lim B workers who are paid through PAYE can be furloughed. That's now made clear. And Sean Jones 
from 11KBW led a discussion on this recently, and that was the conclusion that he reached also. It's now confirmed by the guidance. If you're a limb B worker who pay tax on your trading profits through self-assessment, then you might be eligible for the self-employed income support scheme, which was announced by the Chancellor Rishi Sunak on the 26th of March 2020. I'm not dealing with that in this podcast. What about volunteer work and training? Well, we already know that a furloughed employee can take part in volunteer work as long as it doesn't provide services to or generate revenue for the employer organisation. But an extra sentence in the guidance says your organisation can agree to find furloughed employees new work or volunteering opportunities whilst on furlough if this is in line with public health guidance, i.e. if they're not having to self-isolate. So that's actually quite encouraging. It says the company can support people in finding volunteering or training work and that won't disentitle them from furlough pay. We already know that employers have to notify employees that they're being furloughed, but this requirement's now been upgraded to it's got to be notified in writing. That's going to be an anti-fraud measure. And a record of that communication has to be kept for five years. Five years. Now, we know or we can expect that HMRC are going to be fairly assiduous in investigating these furlough pay claims after it's all over. They won't do it at the time, I don't think, but they will devote effort to looking into claims retrospectively and making sure they're valid. And they're going to target, I suspect, small employers. That's why it's now required that the employee has to be told in writing that they're being furloughed and the record has to be kept for five years. It's clarified, although it's obvious, that claims should be started from the date the employee finishes work and starts furlough, not from the date the decision is made to furlough them or the date that they are written to confirming their furloughed status. The rules on calculating salary and pay are unchanged. For those on a salary, it's just 80% of their salary as of the 28th of February. So no 20% increases to take account of the 80% payment. And for those whose pay varies, that's unchanged. Uh, you can claim the higher of either the same month's earnings in the previous, previous year. So for this month, it would be what they earned in April 2019 or their average monthly earnings in the 2019-2020 tax year. Now, here's something interesting. What can be included? Previously, we were told it was all salary, excluding fees, commissions and bonuses. Well, that's been, I'll use the generous word, clarified. One might say changed. It's now clear that what an employer can reclaim 80% of from the government includes wages. Well, nothing there. Past overtime. I'm not quite sure what that means because... Almost by definition, if someone's been furloughed, they're not doing work and therefore they're not getting overtime. So how can the employer put in a claim to HMRC for 80% of overtime? Doesn't really make very much sense unless it's talking about compulsory guaranteed overtime where the employer 
has to pay the employee for it, whether it's done or not. But it's a curious and inelegant way of phrasing it, because for the purpose of a week's pay in sections 221 through to 223 of the Employment Rights Act, that would just be part of normal salary anyway. So it includes wages, it includes past overtime, it includes fees. The last guidance said fees are excluded. I don't actually know what fees refers to, but hey, whatever it refers to, the employer can now reclaim 80% from HMRC. Maybe it refers to things like membership fees of professional organisations, although why shouldn't you be able to reclaim 100% of that? It includes compulsory commission payments. So if somebody gets a contractual commission payment, the 80% reclaim will include the value of that contractual commission payment. Good news for estate agents or for people paid largely on commission. Always subject, of course, to the £2,500 cap a month. But, 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 these are not included. Discretionary bonuses are not included. Tips are not included. Discretionary commission payments are not included. Benefits in kind are not included. So if somebody gets health insurance benefits or contributions towards those health insurance benefits or to a company car, the value of that is not included in the 80% of salary that can be reclaimed from HMRC. Here's something else new. Employees can be furloughed multiple times. We didn't know that. We inferred it from the fact it wasn't prohibited in the guidance. But now it's expressly said employees can be furloughed multiple times, subject to the caveat that each period of furlough must be for a minimum of three weeks. And that's going to allow employers to rotate employees onto and off of furlough so as to give everybody a fair crack at the furlough whip. It's made clear employees still have the same rights at work, including SSP, maternity and other parental rights, rights against unfair dismissal and redundancy payments. And that's it. That's some of the extra stuff we now know as of today, the 4th of April. There's still things we don't know. We don't know what happens to annual leave. Annual leave will accrue. That's pretty obvious. But can an employee take annual leave when on furlough? What are they paid at? My view is that they are entitled to take annual leave when on furlough. It doesn't interrupt the furlough period or break the three weeks. And although the employer can only reclaim 80% of basic salary from HMRC, certainly for the first EU four weeks of holiday, the employer has to top that up when paying the employee to include an element to reflect overtime, commission, bonuses that they would have earned if they hadn't been on holiday stroke furloughed so that they achieve their normal remuneration. I've written an article on that if you want to have a look at it. It's at www.outertemple.com slash news and I will put a link to that also in the show notes. We don't know the full scope of duties that directors can carry out. 
We don't know what happens to employees who tupid to a new employer after the 28th of February. My view is they fall outside the scheme for reasons that you can see on my Twitter account where I've done a long thread of tweets about this at Daniel underscore Barnett. There is much more that we don't know about and we're being asked questions by employers about the furlough scheme many, many times each day. But at least we now have this little bit more clarity about a couple of things, including, importantly, whether employees can do a second job, a new second job, when on furlough. They can. And we now know that the 80% includes compulsory commission, contractual commission, which is important. Thank you so much for listening. If you are interested in joining the HR Inner Circle, do have a look at it, www.hrinnercircle.co.uk. I'm doing multiple Q&A sessions on coronavirus-related issues for members every single week. It's exclusively available only to members. There is a ton of information in our COVID-19 section on the website, plus five years' worth of back materials, audio seminars on a huge variety of topics, PDF magazines, and a ton of other stuff. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Daniel Barnett from Outer Temple Chambers. Bye-bye. Any information on this podcast is for general guidance only. Always seek legal advice. Please see full terms at www.danielbarnett.co.uk forward slash podcast terms.